Good evening and welcome to Health Beat. I'm your host, Greg Caponia. I would like to welcome our co-host, Edward Meehan, the Executive Director of the Leonard Parker Pool Institute for Health. Welcome, Edward. Good evening, Greg. Great to be with you. Edward, we've got a great program lined up today, but first, I have to say congratulations on being named a recipient of the 2023 Inez and Edward Donnelly Award. This award recognizes all the great work you've been doing in the Lehigh Valley for many years. Congratulations, and can you just briefly tell us a little bit about who the Donnellys were? Great, Greg. Thank you so much. Ed and Inez Donnelly were really tremendous community leaders in the Lehigh Valley for many, many years. And I've been working with the Pool Healthcare Trust or Ryder Pool Foundation or Leonard Parker Pool Institute for 40 years. But for 27 of those 40, I worked with and for Ed Donnelly. Uh, Ed Donnelly was the second CEO of Air Products and Chemicals, uh, handpicked by Leonard Poole, and was very, very close to Leonard Leonard Poole. I got to know Ed very well, learned an awful lot from Mr. Donnelly, and one of the things that he felt very strongly about was education, extremely important, and particularly early childhood education. And so uh, part of when we think about social determinants of health, I always mm-hmm. think about Ed in particular because of his understanding of education's link to health. Community Services for Children, which of course runs Head Start in Lehigh Valley and is one of the best uh, run Head Starts in the country, recognizes annually somebody who has done something good for kids. And I was really delighted to receive that award from Community Services for Children, particularly because it's the Donnelly Award. Well, congratulations. And that, of course, is a, a great transition into introducing our next guest. This evening, we are welcoming uh, an important guest in the Lehigh Valley, Mr. Youssef Dahl. Mr. Dahl is the founder of the Real Estate Lab in Allentown and the executive director of the Century Promise and a Pool Fellowship for Health graduate. Youssef has been on both sides of the struggle to strengthen America's most vulnerable neighborhoods. As a teenager, he operated a network of drug houses before being sentenced to prison for 10 years. After his imprisonment, during the depths of the financial crisis, he became an unlikely real estate investor an affordable housing advocate. From a single two-family house in one of Milwaukee's poorest zip codes, Yusuf built a portfolio of over 200 residential and commercial units and founded an award-winning property management company. He holds an MPA from Princeton University and an MBA from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Yusuf, welcome and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for being here, and I'd also like to extend my congratulations to Ed. I I was there uh, when he won that prestigious award, so congratulations, Ed. Great person. Thank you again. We're delighted to have you on the show and have you talk about your experiences. Can you take us back to the early days of getting involved in real estate? Yeah, I was very fortunate. I was looking for housing. I was probably released from prison maybe about six months at that point, six months to a year, and, you know, I'd secured a job and, you know, was ready to get my own apartment and called up a person, you know, posted an ad, and he showed me a a bunch of properties. And I made the comment, um, you must really be doing well in real estate, you know, you own all these properties. And, you know, he said, yeah, you know, real estate is the best. Everyone should own real estate. You should own real estate. And, you know, the problem at that time was, one, I knew nothing about real estate, and, and two, I had no money. But through that relationship, you know, he was able, he taught me really a lot about housing, right? How to maintain a house, how to fix houses, and 
and how to finance, how to how the whole business worked. And so through his support, I was able to purchase my first property. And then when the foreclosure crisis hit, I purchased many more. How did the foreclosure crisis help you move forward? Well, I mean, oftentimes in life, things happen that we don't control, right? What we control is how we respond to them. The foreclosure crisis was really impactful in, in, in terms of my life because um, the first property I purchased was in a fledgling community in, in Milwaukee. Think an area that historically had been underinvested in, but the city had pumped some dollars in to try to foster home ownership and change the makeup of the community. And so there were what I would describe, myself included to some extent, kind of fragile homeowners, like first-time homeowners that perhaps didn't have huge financial cushions behind them. And so when the foreclosure crisis hit, I mean, it's hard for people to understand in today's context, but literally half of the value of some of these properties were just wiped off the table. So imagine paying $200,000 for a property that's now worth $100,000, but you owe $140,000 on the property. So my neighborhood in particular sustained significant levels of foreclosure. To exacerbate that problem, as soon as they went in the foreclosure, oftentimes they were vandalized. And so it really impacted my quality of life. Here I'm seeing the impact of this every day, and it put me in a position where either I was going to have to move, right, and and find a neighborhood that perhaps wasn't suffering as much, or... I had to do something about it. And in my instance, that meant purchasing one of the properties, fixing it up, renting it out. And that started me down a pathway that ultimately became a professional pursuit for many years. Some people would have walked away from that and you chose to really invest in the community uh, and think about it from a community perspective as well. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about the, the equity proposal there and also think about it from a standpoint of generational wealth you know, the, the idea of home ownership as, as sort of the American dream and yet not attainable for so many people, and that, that ripples down from one generation to the next. I wonder if you could comment on that. Yeah, I mean, first I'd, I'd like to note that I think my response to the situation I found myself in is a function of just my experiences, right? As a young man, I mean, it's impossible to talk about my experience without without understanding the context that led to that moment. And and that included everything as a young man, just as a child. One of the most formative moments of my life was watching our family be evicted from a property and have our belongings put out on the street, right? My mother's crying. There's confusion all over the place. And then also, you know, some of the bad decisions I made as a young man in terms of harming Um, these communities. And that's something that's stuck with me even to this day. I have a responsibility to try to make my community better. Um, And so that animates all of the work that I've done and continue to do. You know, real estate has not only changed my life, it's changed the trajectory for my family. And I know we're going to talk about this later on, but my past, both in the positive and negative um, aspects, continues to impact my life to this day. And when not too long ago, I found myself unable to secure housing because of my past, it was the financial wherewithal we've developed, I've developed, my family has 
through property ownership that allowed me to insulate my daughter from the consequences of that decision. So there truly is no better wealth generator in this country than real estate. You're able to safely leverage to acquire this asset if it's properly managed. Um, it not only generates revenue, but it creates value over time. And so I'm just a big, big believer in this asset class. Um, and I know we're going to talk about this, but it's, it's unfortunate that everyone does not have equal access to this wealth generator. And in your work over the past 40 years, take us to what you would think about when you would have seen young Yusef being evicted out of his house. What would have gone through your mind? Because it goes, goes on right now goes on right now and it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And you don't have to look hard and you don't have to look far to see it every day. Uh, I think one of the things that we, we do, so many of us do, is that we are kind of caught up on our own personal lives. And, and I've described this to, to colleagues of mine to say we are at a kind of a nice place and we get in our car and we're reasonably sure that our car is going to take us to where we want to go. And uh, we will be home and we'll feel safe and secure and, you know, thank God for all of our blessings. But the neighborhoods we drive through to get from point A to point B might not be the same for people who live in those neighborhoods. And we don't see it as much as we could see it. And I think it's a good idea for people to uh, keep their eyes a little bit open and see, see those things. They're hard, to, they're hard to watch. They're hard to see. Not necessarily just a family being evicted, but... but just the rhythm of life in a neighborhood at any given time. There's so many heartbreaking things that go on. I think it's just too easy to turn away. So you have experience on one side here with Yusef, oversight on the other side with Ed. How do you two come together? How do you, two totally different experiences. How do you help each other, Yusef? The pool fellowship. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a good I mean, answer, that's, right? You know, someone like Ed who, as you know, has a wealth of knowledge and experience and theory, just one of the smartest folks you'll, you'll ever get a chance to meet with. Most importantly, Ed's a very curious person, and he's curious about the experiences of others, and he's in a position, fortunately, to be able to invest in other people and empower them and provide a platform. And so I, I'm just a big fan of the, the work he's doing with the fellowship, and I think the more we can identify, empower, support people with lived experience to influence and shape policy, practices, you know, investment decisions. It's the way we move forward. And Greg, life experience is extremely important and I value that and respect it. And Yusuf speaks from a voice of experience and knowledge and also from education and preparation and training and practice and, and, and his own skill and ability. But in addition to that, uh, I grew up in New York City at a time of urban renewal. My whole neighborhood was torn down when I was a kid. I grew up in the projects because my whole neighborhood was turned down. So uh, when I think about roles of government or foundations or people who are in position to make policy decisions, we sometimes get it wrong. And when we get it wrong, there are consequences and ripples that happen for a very, very, very long time. So for me, and I, I'm hardly a big P policymaker, but I do think we need to think long and hard about what we do to include the life and lived experience of people from the neighborhood to understand what we might do to help as opposed to just saying, well, I've got the answer, it's the X, let's just, let's just do unto these people. Uh, that is a, that it's a mistake and it's, you're better off taking your time and, and being very thoughtful about it and inclusive. 
And part of that, as Yusuf has mentioned, the fellowship, part of that is getting people from different experiences to work together to kind of think about how can we create win-win-win opportunities. WDIY members have exclusive access to our weekly member ticket giveaway. That's a new drawing every week for the best events the Lehigh Valley has to offer. Concerts, festivals, film screenings, theater performances, and more. Last year, WDIY gave away over 2,000 tickets to our members. So don't miss your chance. Become a WDIY member today. Call 610-694-8100, extension 4, or visit WDIY.org. Well, this is, we're having a great conversation uh, about housing and the importance of housing and the importance of, of rental versus home ownership, the idea of building wealth uh, and uh, capacity for a family. For those of you who listen to this show often, it's called Health Beat, and you might just for a second wonder why this has to do with health. Well, as we've talked about with social determinants of health and with vital conditions, safe and healthy housing is an extremely important determinant of whether a family is healthy or not vital conditions, folks call it humane housing. Without adequate housing, you're going to have a great deal of difficulty having a child or children who are developmentally on track, who have the uh, ability to be healthy in their early childhood years, which can lead to all kinds of developmental delays. So I'd like to turn to our guest Yusef and say, I, I know in the fellowship we talked about this, but I wonder if you could just elaborate a bit on the importance of safe and healthy housing and the role that you're playing from a slightly different perspective. Oftentimes we think about housing and, and the economy uh, as opposed to housing and uh, for people who have been previously incarcerated in their families. Well, housing is a foundational need. I mean, you can't talk about academic success without housing. You can't talk about any of these higher level needs and aspirations without first dealing with this foundational um, requirement. So housing is, is, is just foundational to everything else in life. While a lot of folks struggle with affordability and access to housing, particularly in a housing market like we have right now in the Lehigh Valley, there's one demographic that is incredibly impacted uh, by this, and, I, and I'm part of that group, which is formerly incarcerated individuals. And as you know, Ed, two years ago, um, I was recruited to Allentown to lead an organization. Now, you know, I've been out of prison 25 years. I've had absolutely zero justice involvement. I've worked on three continents. I've received fellowships from Google. I've graduated from Princeton, blah, blah, blah. I've done a lot of interesting things and a lot of things that you would imagine would remove me from the precariousness of perhaps not having access to housing. But that's not the case. And in fact, I was denied housing in a school district that was best going to support the academic needs of my family. And so because of that, I've been involved in a national effort to ensure that people who have paid their debt to society have the ability to live where they want in communities that are going to support their families and not just where they're allowed. And so as part of that effort, um, I've been featured in a, a Vice docu-story that's streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Um, and I've been going around the country screening this piece, holding panel discussions, and excited to um, say that our very first event was right here in the Lehigh Valley at Lehigh University. Tell us a little bit more about the event at Lehigh. I understand it was well. I unfortunately couldn't be there, but I understand it was well-received. This is just a great community for, for those type of, of 
conversations um, because it's a community that lead, leans into those tough conversations and I think is genuinely curious about how do we extend opportunity to other people in the Lehigh Valley. So we screened the docu-story, which is very short, it's only about 15 minutes, and it was followed by a really engaging panel discussion with a representative from HUD. We had a leader from the Pennsylvania Housing Alliance that does a lot of statewide advocacy, and then we had a representative from the landlord industry there. Um, And so it was a conversation with divergent viewpoints, but I think we were all able to land on the importance of making sure people have access to safe and affordable housing. And you're taking the show on the road. I am taking the show on the road. I'm in Cleveland tomorrow, Boston and Princeton later this month. And in the spring, I'll be in New York and Washington, D.C. So looking to book other locations. So if anyone else listening from from throughout the globe would be interested in this type of event, let me know. Yusuf, what is it that made you believe that you could do what you're doing right now. I remember when I bought my first house and of course I really I mean it should have been easy. I mean, you know, I grew up in a middle class neighborhood in Detroit and I remember crossing the psychological barrier thinking, "Well, I can do this." How do you motivate or or encourage or empower somebody to by their piece of the rock. It's, it's, it's all through example. And if you can see yourself in someone else who's doing what you may aspire to do, it really does give you the confidence. And this is the case not only when it comes to home ownership, but any type of career pathway. I mean, you mentioned I'm the executive director of the Century Promise, which provides career opportunities for people. Look at our building trades. The folks working in our building trades do not represent the makeup of our communities. And why is this? Well, a lot of the people in our communities don't have that possibility model in front of them. And that's what the Real Estate Lab is all about. We put possibility models in front of people so that they see that they also can take that risk, smart investment, right? So you're, it's always a risk, but you're mitigating it and you're, you have people around you um, that are there to support you. And I think that's how we help people get over those psychological hurdles to take that risk, get their piece of the rock, and hopefully build generational wealth and provide stability for their families. And add, of course, healthier families. Healthier families. But Yousef is hitting on two of the, probably the most, for me, the most significant determinants of health, uh, housing and education. You know, I I can't think of a more meaningful way to think about how to alter the trajectory of someone's life than making sure that they have access to a quality education. It's extremely important. Now, they need to have a place to live that is safe, secure, and humane and and adequate. Then from there, we start building. And these things are interactive and they're mutually supporting. Good neighborhoods end up with school, good school districts. Good school districts end up with good neighborhoods. People participate in civic life because their kids go to school and there's a trunk or treat and there's a Three Kings celebration and there's an Easter party and, and you build community that way. Education is extremely important. Housing is extremely important. Yousef, your past life probably seems like an entire life ago, but are, what are some of the things that people might not understand about people who have been incarcerated, paid their debt to society, 
and want to come back and and give back? Well, one thing that stands out for me is oftentimes people who've had justice involvement, they're more likely to have experienced adverse childhood experiences. And so for, for people who are justice involved, oftentimes they never really had their first chance. And, and, and trust me, I'm a big accountability person. I believe you maintain responsibility, you maintain control. I'm not trying to absolve anyone from responsibilities um, for their actions. But the fact of the matter is if, if you look at what led up, it, let's take me, for example. If you look what led to my justice involvement, nobody would have thought there was any other outcome. My father was in prison. My older brother was in prison. In, in many respects, just like I, my daughter is being pushed to graduate high school and graduate from college, like it's going to surprise nobody when I tell you my daughter graduate is going to graduate from high school. Like mm-hmm. that, it's a no-brainer. That, that same thing was true with me, but for a different outcome. Nobody would have been surprised if you told them that I went to prison. And so when people pay that debt to society, and if they've used that time wisely and they're looking to turn their life around, it behooves us as a society to make sure they have that access to opportunity and not perpetually punish them for the worst thing they may have ever done. Yusuf, I think, uh, sometimes I think about a statement that I heard once, which was people looked at the choices I made but they didn't look at the options I had. Mm, that's a good one. Uh, and when you think about the fact that the large swaths of the Lehigh Valley are, are doing extraordinarily well, and people have, young people have an array of options available to them. But for lots of other folks, the options, the script gets more tight, and the options start to limit and limit and limit. And when you have those limited options with those adverse life experiences, it's really hard to fight your way through. So I think part of this, and and, and not to embarrass you, Yusuf, but I mean, it's one of those deals for me as people say, well, he's an extraordinary person, and he was able to do that because he was just just amazingly capable, uh, and what a great success story. Amen. Very, very true. But how do we change the, the trajectory enough for enough other people to be able to see a path forward? You've cited my example for one by modeling behavior, by access to information and education, by just having some belief in that you can do it, and other things that I'm sure that you will, you will mention. But how do we change the trajectory so that we can make this a real thing for more people? Yeah, I mean, I, I may be the exception, but I'm not exceptional. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> who spent any time with me will, will tell you that. I'm not particularly exceptional. Just ask my daughter. Look, I mean, there's a couple of things that go into this. One, people have to make that decision themselves. They want something different. Okay, so we can't absolve people of personal responsibility from any of this because when I was in prison, I made a decision that the intergenerational poverty and incarceration stops right here and it stops right now. Okay, so let's assume a person is making that decision then we have to make sure there's on-ramps to opportunity. Because I'll tell all of you right now, I I was so determined to turn my life around when I was released from prison. But if it was not for the opportunities that were extended to me, 
I don't, I would not be here right now. E even though the internal intrinsic motivation was there, if it wasn't for a landlord saying, I'm going to give you a chance to rent. Or my first job, my first employer saying, we're going to give you a chance on the factory floor. If it wasn't for that, despite all of my motivation, I would not be here today. Tell us more. I want to, tell me more about that. Look, I, I have been incredibly fortunate. There's no doubt about that. Every time a door has been closed, another one has opened for me. And so, you know, if, if there's anyone listening to this program that perhaps has justice involvement, it's so important to stay optimistic and stay motivated. You're going to encounter roadblocks. I mean, and, and it doesn't matter how far you've put your past behind you. I, I remember when I was at Princeton, um, we had to have like a, a job in between our program. So I was hired by a consulting firm in D.C. to do housing policy work. Well, they did a background check on me and rescinded the internship opportunity. And I, 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 of course, it was like heartbreaking. It was like this is something I'm passionate about. I thought I had put my past behind me at that point. And, you know, I picked myself back up from the mat. And three weeks later, I got an offer from Google to do policy work globally. So... Again, it, it, it's it's one of these things where I don't discount the role that luck has played in my life, but it's also because people have chosen to invest in me and people have chose to look beyond perhaps the worst thing I've ever done and see what I'm capable of contributing to the community around me. So I think I'm hearing you say get to know the person who may be applying to rent your property. Maybe meet them. Be, be curious about everyone. Don't be so quick to, and, and, and this is not just justice involvement. I mean, you see someone in their hair is purple. Don't immediately think this person is the worst person ever. Be curious about people. And I assure you, people are more than what they may first seem. Greg, you often uh, ask at the wrap of our Health Beat shows, what can our listeners do? And I think Yusuf has just described something that our We're listeners there now. can do, which is, you know, don't judge people from 50 feet away and make a snap decision. Um, you might be surprised and you might learn something and it might be helpful to you. Yusuf, do you have a website? How can I learn more? How can our listeners learn more about you? Well, if they want to learn about me, they could yusufdahl.com. Actually, I do have a website that tells you a little bit about me. But my work, you can go to realestatelaballentown.com. That's something I'm very passionate about. And then, of course, I'm the executive director of the Century Promise. So you can visit centurypromise.org and learn more about that initiative. Ed, we've got about a minute left. Final thought? This, thank you, Yusuf, very much. What a wonderful program. And uh, I think it, we've given an opportunity for folks to have some real food for thought about the impact of housing and the importance of housing, but not just from an economic standpoint, but from the challenges that people have from their life circumstances. Yusef, thank you very much for being on HealthBeat. Thank you for having me. And Ed, as always, thank you very much for being a part of this program. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for everybody at WDIY. What a wonderful asset for the community. Thank you. Thank you. HealthBeat will be available tomorrow morning on WDIY.org or on the WDIY app. And perhaps you'd like to listen to this 
program again or share it with some of your friends, you can do that digitally. I'm your host, Greg Caponia, and you are listening to WDIY 88.1 FM and online at WDIY.org. Have a great evening. If you enjoyed this program, please go to WDIY.org or the WDIY app to share or become a WDIY member.